Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Adopted a horse. As you do. William the Stallion. Well, hello and welcome to the Wellbeing Lab. I am roasting in my little attic. I don't know why, because it hasn't been that hot. Anyway, I'm boiling. I think it's because I'm wearing tweed trousers. I am talking to Gerard Kite today who is a five element acupuncturist i've actually known him for a long time he runs a clinic called the kite clinic in london and he also has a school called yellow path so i went to have a session with him we didn't record it because we felt it might detract from him being able to concentrate on what he was doing but i would tell you basically you sit down you talk for about 15 to 20 minutes and gerard actually does talk about this what he's sort of assessing while he talks to you and then he takes your pulse, we talk about that too, the Chinese pulse, and then starts putting needles in. They don't hurt at all, by the way. Sometimes another acupuncture, they leave them in for a long time and then sort of waggle them about. He doesn't do that. He puts them in until you feel this sort of dull ache and then he takes them out. And the dull ache is when it sort of unblocks the necessary area. Sometimes he gets a tape measure out to get the exact right spot. And sometimes he puts on a thing called moxa, which I have no idea what it is, but it smells amazing. And you put it on, you light it. I get the impression it sort of warms up the area to get the blockage out. Anyway, it smells delightful. So that's sort of what happens. But have a listen to my chat with Gerard. He's an amazing man, and I hope you enjoy it. My name is Gerard Kite. I am a classical five-element acupuncturist, formerly a psychotherapist, and before that, many other things. And I practice acupuncture in the West End of London. And I also have a school in the East End. I came across you because I was up in Scotland. I mean, this is a long time ago, as you know. And there was an article on you. And one of the areas that you had got well known in by practicing Five Element was helping fertility. Yeah. And you wrote a book on it. Yes. It's a very unusual thing for me to choose because I don't have children. and. Uh, it's just not an area that was really of interest to me, but it kind of landed in my lap. And I think partly because I wasn't that dedicated to fertility as such, it meant that my treatments were much more focused on the individual. And that actually produced the benefits. So it was kind of a, a strange way to become known as a fertility expert. And then the Mail on Sunday ran a six-page piece on me saying I was the daddy of all fertility experts. And that was it, you know, then that's it. You're stamped for life then. Well, yeah, because I was going to say that because we know each other so well. I've been seeing you for a long time on and off. And I'd actually sort of forgotten that that was, it literally just came to my head. Do you sort of, do you feel like you got labelled as like the baby maker? <laughs> yes, very much so. Because yeah. it's, it's a zeitgeisty kind of health concern. You know, it's of our time. And... I think people like to have a face or a name that they can associate and that they can find refuge in, in some ways. So it's 
it's an interesting one. I mean, what 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 I found fascinating about it is realizing that all of these symptoms, whether it's infertility, depression, whatever, really are just symptoms. And that when you help someone come back into balance, these symptoms do tend to go away. So this kind of fixation on symptoms is a very kind of Western idea that is not particularly helpful, even though, of course, you know, we, we want to Google stuff about our particular diagnosis. So the, the knowledge does get in the way. So do you think we look at symptoms and get stuck at that place? As in, like, we get a diagnosis. So a symptom, let's say, could be depression. Mm -hmm. And then we get diagnosed with, I mean, whatever the diagnosis could be. And then we sort of stay there. Whereas sort of Eastern medicine likes to see the symptom and then try and resolve it by bringing the body back into balance. I think the most helpful way to look at it is, is from almost a scientific point of view. When you look at how the brain is constructed that the right hemisphere of our brain just takes in the present moment as it is. So whether that's pain and suffering or joy and elation, whatever it is, you know, there is, there's a sensory experience of whatever state we're in. And then the, the left brain kicks in and labels it. And what we tend to do is want to know what is it? What is the label? And so we get very fixated on the understanding of the problem as opposed to experiencing the problem and therefore being in the kind of free flow of resolving it because the kind of the right the right side brain experience is a very fluid one so depression is something you know that passes but i think if you start labeling things you engage the left brain and it, and it does become a fixed thing i mean that sounds a bit black and white and it kind of is when you look at the two sides of the brain but I do think our Western way of approaching things is to nail things down, to understand them, to prove them, value them. You know, and it's very limited because the, the brain can only come up with so many solutions. Whereas the more kind of human aspect of us is much more in a, in a state of free flow and freedom. And I guess, I suppose, if, if the brain can't work out why the body is having that sort of reaction, you know, why I'm feeling that sort of way, it needs to find an answer doesn't it it's a, it's a problem solving tool that's all it can do yeah so that's sort of extended possibly out into sort of the mental health world yes it's not you know it's not it's not a terrible thing its job is to understand what's going on you know it we, we experience the phenomena of life and we are part of that and our thoughts and feelings the way our body works and then our mind goes okay so what is this and it tries to create a construct but the problem is it can get very limited and tie us down in that way i think a good example and that's why the fertility one is is interesting is this concept of trying to get pregnant the word trying that the language you use is we fall pregnant we fall asleep we fall ill you know we, we kind of understand that a lot of these very natural things are not because we make them happen they're, they're a natural occurrence of just being in the free flow of our own life and then what happens is when that's not happening, we say, okay, I'll try to get better. I'll try to be less depressed. I'll try to get pregnant. I'll try and sleep. And that in itself is the problem. Because mm. had we not engaged our trying capacities, it may have just passed. And I think that's one of the, well, I think, I know that one of the huge benefits of the style of acupuncture that I practice is that it redirects the person's attention away from that more binary thinking into a much more free flow so often people say when they you know, after a session they'll say oh i just felt much lighter and happier and i was just going about my business and then blah 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 and then i got pregnant 
that is the kind of consistent feedback and there is something about you know the not trying the not thinking about it that is uh important and that's really what acupuncture i think offers more than anything else is it gives us that opportunity to inhabit a different part of ourselves. there's two different types of acupuncture aren't there there's five element acupuncture mm-hmm. and then there's another type of acupuncture but i don't know what that's called the two main styles practiced in the west are five element acupuncture which is very much rooted in the ancient philosophy and understands that human beings are made up of the same five elements that we experience in the natural world. So what we know about the natural world is it it is bound by natural law. There are certain immutable facts of life that nobody challenges, and that's the study of science in, in a sense. So you have five element acupuncture, which really looks at how we sit within the universe and how the natural balance within us is maintained and is aligned with the outside world. Then there's traditional Chinese medicine, which is a composite of different healing modalities. So it's partly acupuncture, Chinese herbs, massage, tuinar, lifestyle recommendations. So it's kind of a package that looks more at the problems that people are facing. So you could argue that five element style is much more looking at an underlying cause. And TCM is looking more at syndromes or complexities that have occurred and how you can break those down or change them how old is it five element two thousand years old it's thought to be about five thousand years old based on archaeological findings like um, slithers of bone that they believe were used like acupuncture needles so it's considered to be five thousand years old it was first talked about about three thousand to four thousand years ago because they weren't writing things back then And the tradition was finally documented about two and a half thousand years ago. So they've had a long time to get it right. And acupuncture is practiced all over China, Korea, Japan, Taiwan. It's a a huge landmass and population base that are still using it on a regular basis. Based on these five elements, is the body sort of made up into a grid where you find the different points for certain things? How do you go about finding the right points and how do you go about assessing a patient this was understood through the observation of nature so when you look at the natural world and you look at how the yet different elements interact with each other so how you know the, the heat of the sun interacts with water and how that produces growth with the wood and then how we see the the metals within the earth are being constructed through compression these are complex relationships but they are all interrelated so what the chinese recognize very simply is that if this is what's happening on the outside then surely this must be happening on the inside of us and so they worked out over many god knows how long that the the five elements or the activity of the five elements energetically is mirrored in the body so for example the wood element which is one of the five elements governs expansion growth new beginnings if you translate that into the body it's the liver and the gallbladder And the Chinese understanding was that these two organs, their primary responsibility is to ensure that we are reborn, we regrow, that we expand, that we have purpose in our lives. So they saw that it wasn't just on the physiological level, but also the mental level, and probably most importantly, the spiritual level, meaning it gave us a sense of meaning and purpose. So each of the elements that we see in nature then has as a relation within us. And so everything about us, the way we speak, the way we feel, the way we express ourselves, our own true nature is supported and governed by these five elements. 
And then the other thing which I find really fascinating is that they recognize that we're all absolutely unique, that each one of us is a unique balance of the five elements, and that that uniqueness is precious because that's our unique contribution to the bigger picture. But of course, it's dependent on the healthy and correct balance of the five elements. So it suddenly becomes a very practical thing in that you've got to get everything in its place. All the ducks have to be lined up so that you can digest food, think about things, fall in love, all the qualities of what it is to be human. But also, it's a very um, kind of personal, uh, how would you call it? Um, well, individual, I guess, isn't it? You have to take yes. each case. Yes, absolutely. Everybody is diagnosed completely in a unique way. So when, when I go into a session, we didn't record the session, but when I go in, you will feel my, well, it feels like you're feeling my pulse on both hands. What are you feeling for when you're holding my wrist? The diagnosis starts long before. Or are that. you just being kind? Well, partly holding that, yes. Yes, human touch is very important in the, in the healing practice. But what's more fascinating about this, this style of, of, of medicine is that as a practitioner, my job is to assess you in every possible way. So when you sit there and you're talking to me and you think that we're just chatting about whatever, what I'm actually doing is I'm paying attention to how you respond to me, the sound in your voice, colors in your face, how you smell. And all of these things tell me how in or out of balance you are and in which way you're out of balance. So for example, when we last met, we spoke about lots of different things. Mm. And the theme for me throughout the interaction was one of a slight sadness, a lack of joy, but then we would suddenly very easily and quickly go into laughter and joy. So what you start to notice is that this is the polarity that you seem to most comfortably or uncomfortably sit. And that's information for the diagnosis. And then you, in this tradition, would then say, okay, well, that's, that emotion relates to the fire element. Then I'm paying attention to the odor that is emitted from you which is a scorch. So it's the smell of something burning. So in the human body is like the thermostat's not quite regulated properly. So literally the fluids of the body are, are slightly um, overheated. And then you go with the color, which is a kind of gray lack of red in the face. And the sound of the voice is either a laugh or a lack of laugh. So those four things, basically my senses are picking up the information and then I take your hand. So at that point, I make physical contact with you. And then I'm seeing what is the balance of the five elements in you. And I do that by taking the Chinese pulse. And that will tell me how the one amount of energy in you is shared out amongst the five elements. Oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> that's a lot of theory packed into a very no, short but time. That's so but... interesting. It's really interesting to hear you sort of break down one of our sessions. I mean, I like the fact that I don't know what's going on. I never feel like you're assessing me. Do you know what I mean? Well, certainly not assessed and being judged. We have a chat normally for about 15, 20 minutes. I think just to pick up on that is that is the key difference is because my attention is not on what you're saying. Obviously, I'm paying attention to what you say, but it's not where my primary attention is. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not trying to glean anything from what you tell me. My attention is actually on you. And I think that makes it a very special kind of interaction because I'm listening to you with every sense organ I have. Yeah. That's quite a rare thing because most of us are not really being listened to by other people. You know, we tend to be reacting to each other or we've got our own agendas or someone says something, it triggers something in us. 
So it's quite a rare moment for someone to be in a professional setting, to be sitting there and being totally present to you and without activating the kind of head-to-head intellectual process, which we're so used to. Yes, not getting caught into the story, maybe. Exactly, exactly. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And then how do you divulge the Chinese pulse to work out how much of each element is going on? So the organs are located in different parts of the upper body, middle and lower. So that's in the kind of actual torso. The way the energy flows around the body, it goes through these organs. And obviously it's going to change the flow of the energy. And we pick this up in the Chinese pulse. And the place that we take it is over where you would traditionally feel for the blood pulse but we're not actually feeling the blood pulse. We're feeling the flow of energy that flows just above it. So it's a very gentle, light touch. So just as the blood flows around the body in in an ordered fashion and brings life to all the cells in our body, so does the energy of the body. So that's flowing around everywhere. But in particular, it's flowing through the vital organs. And of course, these organs are going to have an effect on the flow of energy just as we're affected if we go into a different environment. And you can pick up the state of the organs through the uh, Chinese pulses. So I want to say what I feel afterwards. So I came to have a session with you and we worked on sort of bringing maybe more trust, but not just in a sort of head space, but maybe even from a bodily point of view. You know, if I'm around people, Mm. there's probably a sense of not really trusting people. And then also bringing a sort of inner chuckle Mm. And and that was yes. a point under my armpit, which has really yeah. like stayed with me, by the way. Oh, good. Yeah. In a good I, way, I hope. In a really good way. And afterwards, I felt, I think quite often because I'm probably running on a slight sort of adrenalized or in a, an adrenalized manner, I always, always feel calmer and sort of nicely tired. I felt a lot lighter, definitely. And I always feel a lot more present afterwards, like... I'm just in a lovely musical and I'm waving to everyone going, hello, (laughs) postman, you know, hello, bird. Everything does feel in balance. Mm. And it's kind of miraculous, really, because, you know, you've seen me in various states of of emotional and physical unrest. It's quite miraculous to come in in one way and leave really back to fully balanced and calm and joyful, happy and everything else. The word miraculous, I think, is right. When I first discovered the system of medicine, 
it was miraculous, but I didn't realize it was the treatment that had done that. I mean, I had this kind of miraculous experience of seeing the world very differently. And at the time, I don't know what I put that down to. I just saw it as some change in me, but I didn't, I didn't even realize that acupuncture could do that because I'd gone there for something much more mundane. This is when you were having it on yourself. Yes, when I went as a, as a patient, and this mm. is 35 years ago. So yes, it is miraculous, but it's also very simple because the philosophy simply tells us that when we're in balance, we are returned to our natural state, which is a peaceful state. It's the basis of homeostasis. So it's actually our birthright. It's how human beings naturally are when we're in balance. So the question here is, why are we all so out of balance? What is it about us and our culture or just the way that we are that human beings seem to choose in some ways or, or court imbalance. And I think part of it is that we don't realize that this state of peace is our birthright because many of us have been born into chaotic situations, cultures or whatever. And so we get used to being out of balance and then we also make a virtue out of it. So, you know, there are certain imbalances that are very helpful in certain industries you know, if somebody goes to work in the city, you want someone who's jacked up on adrenaline and mm. who doesn't stop. Mm. And we go, aren't you brilliant? Because you you work so hard. Yeah. So we kind of then start to find an environment that supports our imbalance. And then we call it our personality. But most of us, I would say, don't naturally just kind of settle back into an easy state of peace. Of course, we're going to get thrown by things that have different emotions. But what this philosophy and this style of medicine simply says is that if peace and balance is your natural state, then what is it that stops you getting there? So once I realized the potency of this system of medicine, how simple and how beautiful it is, I started to think, why, why on earth isn't everybody having this? When we look at what's happening in, in the health service and this, this endless focus on, on symptoms and medication and more and more machines and techniques, it just seems mad to me that you know we're supposedly civilized, we're supposedly so sophisticated, and yet we're not looking at the most basic things of what it is to be human. And I think that's partly because we don't know it and we don't believe in it. So yes, I mean, my, my kind of personal agenda or mission is to train up as many people as possible and contribute in my own small way as part of this, this long tradition to kind of make this a lot more accessible. And I know that you've been doing quite a lot of work with people from the trans community. Again, it's um, a label that we give a group of people because of the world that we live in and we're so used to our groupings and labels is that I think we have to work with that. The same way that I'm happy that lots of people come to me for fertility and they get something much greater. It often changes them completely. So I think um, when you mentioned about us working with the transgender community, we wanted to work with a group of people where we could see what happens if we help them as a group who are working together and working with their clients. And can we see a ripple effect? So starting from us as practitioners, treating these people, them feeling a positive benefit, and that also then filtering through to the people they work with. So we chose that group because we recognize that this is a group who are being disenfranchised, who are being prejudiced against. And again, it's this idea that our gender is irrelevant. What this system of medicine does, it cuts through all these stupid labels and simply says, you are a human being composed of five elements. And if you return to balance, you get to be who you are. 
this is another thing about this system of medicine is it, it gives people the courage and power to be who they really are and to face the adversity that may be out there. So we saw it very much as a way to help empower people. Now, interestingly, the patients that came to us, we we're expecting this kind of whole story around the struggle of being transgender and dealing with the outside world. And almost every single person that came to us was coming with, oh, I've got backache. <laughs> I feel tired. <laughs> oh, I've, I get depressed. You know, so that was a, that was a bit of an eye opener for us. And it kind of reinforced that at the end of the day, we're all just little bozos on the bus trying to do the best we can, no matter what it is. And we're going to face different challenges in life. But ultimately, it's about helping individuals be who they are. And if you do help people, I mean, it's, you know, it's like you're saying about helping these people who are helping others. I mean, that's a way of looking at life, I think, because anyone that's leading a calmer, more peaceful life, more content with themselves, they're going to pass that on to others, aren't they, really? I mean, that just sort of makes sense. Well, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm one of these uh, typical kind of uh, therapist practitioners that don't get enough of my own medicine. But what I know is that when I have treatment every six weeks over a long period of time, I am nicer to myself, a better practitioner, nicer to my friends, take my dogs out for more walks. I mean, it just becomes an automatic thing that I'm a more healthy, happier human being and that the activities that I bring help other people. It's a no brainer, really. If we all came into that state, the whole world would change. Is the idea that when we have five element acupuncture that it allows us to get back to that place of homeostasis, which is our kind of divine right, our natural state, actually, and then the body and mind together learns that it can be on that in that state. And then do people need to have it less and less? You know, how many sessions does someone need? Yes. I mean, the, the system was developed as a preventative form of medicine. So in ancient China, the five element practitioners, their role within the community was to look after the community. And they would do this by understanding the uniqueness of each of these people in the community and would support them for them to stay well and to deal with the normal challenges of life. But it was very much about looking after the community through a personalized service for each one, acknowledging you know, the, the differences and the uniqueness of each person. Fast forward to modern day culture, you know, we tend to wait till something goes wrong. Less so. I mean, people are starting to meditate. People do go to the gym. But with mental health and spiritual health, which is a little bit more nuanced, I don't think we have many tools for that. I mean, religion has served as one of those for obviously beginning of time. But I think what's what's beautiful about this system is that it acknowledges body, mind and spirit equally. Mm. It acknowledges that there is no separation that you know if you look after your body that benefits your mind and your spirit and all of them so what we're looking at with our patients we have to make a diagnosis of where are they really struggling and in most cases what we notice is that the place that people collapse pretty quickly is at the spirit level meaning that they're not okay in themselves even though they're coping they get on with life they're doing all the things they have to do but you scratch the surface and you see the fragility or the lack of robustness within them. And that's really what we're focused on. Where can people get five element acupuncture at the moment? Like for example, can people get it on the NHS or is it all a load of private practitioners in the UK? It's mainly private practitioners. And would you like to see it in the NHS? Is that your hope with Oh with God, yes. 
Absolutely. We ran a trial about 15 years ago, and it was paid for. We got a good, good lump of money from the Wellcome Trust. And this was looking at if we treat frequent attending patients, i.e. people that go to the GP all the time, and these are people who are suffering in a real way, but they come with lots of different symptoms. And they're pretty much brushed away or you know, given blood tests, medication, whatever. So we said, okay, if we take this group of patients and we treat them with five-element acupuncture, do they attend less frequently? Do they feel better? So we had a significant response to that, but it didn't go any further than that. It's very difficult to cut through the old model. The old model really does look at someone has to present with something wrong. So for the NHS to shell out money for people you know, who are okay, and we hope they're going to stay well, is a bit of a stretch. The Americans are much better with that. So for example, in California, Blue Shield Insurance years ago, they recognized that if they paid for their clients or customers to have acupuncture, it would stop them making claims in the future. Wow. And they ran a big advertising campaign saying, you know, we look after you. And it was a picture of someone with needles down their back. They recognized that that appeals to people. It was a great sales thing, but also it was the truth. It's, it's really interesting because I think people still think, well, it's a little bit weirdy beardy, really. And maybe they're put off by the idea of needles. I think it's that they just don't know enough about it. Most people assume that you're going to have a bad back. And it's the most common thing is you know, people say, oh, what do you do? I'm an, I'm an acupuncturist. And they go, oh, yeah, I once went for that because I had back pain or I had uh, asthma or something. So it's always about a physical symptom. The message that hasn't really come across yet is that its real strength and power is helping people be content, happy human beings, mm. which I, I believe and the philosophy teaches us is the natural state. And that all the other emotions and experiences we have are kind of bonus, but the fundamental way of being is to be happy and content. Wouldn't it be brilliant if we had like, rather than all these gyms, have acupuncture? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely room for, I think, a mass rollout. Yeah. But this is this is the challenge. Obviously, for that to happen, we need to have an army, if I can use that word, of great five-element acupuncturists. And that's why we created our training program, which is called Yellow Path. And what we've done is, during COVID, because we couldn't see anyone at that time, we thought, okay, what can we best do with our time? And we took our entire curriculum and filmed it. So people can learn it now online at home, the, the, the philosophy and theory, and then they can do the practical aspects of the, the, the clinical practice they can do with us at the school in London or with other practitioners you know, around the world. And how can people pay to train if they want to and all that kind of stuff? I mean, obviously we're a private institution, so you know yeah. there, there are fees for training. Our focus is for people to segue straight into their own practice so it's a two-year program which is shorter than most of the programs out there but it's intensive it's a lot of work you've got to really dedicate most of your time to it but it means that you can then go out and build a practice straight away and we're, we're very proactive in helping people do that so in the last six months of the training you're seeing your own patients under supervision and obviously during that time you're building your practice but we feel a certain responsibility to do things like I'm doing with you now is, is, to, is to develop um, awareness of what we do and obviously then direct people to our graduates. And particularly, I'd, I'd love to train lots of young people because 
it's a vocation. It's a lifelong learning. And you've got to start as soon as you can, really. I started in my late 20s. I'm now in my early 60s. You know, I'm still learning. I love it that I, I'm I'm still learning every single day. I'm with patients. So that was my last question is what have and what do you get out of it? If people are thinking about this as a vocation. I just love passing it on. There's something so exciting about being part of a legacy and oral tradition. I mean, I can feel when I'm teaching, because it's not my stuff. I haven't you know, invented any of this. I'm literally passing on what I've been taught, my experience of being a practitioner with patients. That's how it's come alive within me and become part of me. And that kind of goosebump feeling you have when you're sharing this wisdom and you can just feel that this is more than words. You can feel that you're actually handing something over to the next generation. That is exciting. I mean, if you're talking about having a life purpose, and it's fun, you know, it's so much fun. And, you know, to be of service to other human beings, there's surely got to be the best thing there is. Gerard, thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you so much for this opportunity and chatting with you, of course. Well, that was Gerard Kite. I mean, a sage, if ever there was one. Again, if you want to find out about his school, it's yellowpath.com and they can help you with finding a five element acupuncture wrist in your area. And maybe you have uh, stories about your experience with acupuncture. Maybe you've done something with Gerald. Do let us know because it's always interesting to hear people's shared experiences. Thank you very much for your messages this week. I'm going to dive right in. Uh, Hi Will, I love your podcast. Took some time off work as I was struggling with bad anxiety and depression. I'm sorry to hear that and well done for taking the time out for yourself. I got back now but I think I returned too early. Didn't really have a choice so I didn't have any more days off left. Still trying to get into a routine. I was wondering if any other people find it hard to cope if they've been in this position and what your thoughts were on having mental health days off at work. Well my thoughts are that all employees should really hear their employees and listen to them and things are in place. And if they have an HR department, go and speak to them. Also get a letter from your doctor. So, you know, not to use up your holiday days, but you should certainly, and I've done it in the past, taken a week off work and I went to my doctor and I got a note. Um, And it's as simple as that. And, you know, employees are legally bound to pay attention to that. And, you know, well done to you for paying attention to your own well-being And if you need more time, then you need more time. Obviously, you know, we have to earn money and things like that are really stressful. But really, we have to be in a good position within ourselves. And I've certainly taken time off work. And in the long run, it's actually really benefited. Um, So well done for looking after yourself. And it is a stressful situation. And thanks for getting in touch. Hello, Will. Thank you for your interesting podcast covering all aspects of living a stressful life and raising awareness of mental health in our busy lives. My pleasure. I personally am fortunate to be well mentally, but as I've gotten older, I've noticed that sometimes anxiety about small things get me more stressed. So your episodes have been very insightful. Maybe the mental health issues around the natural process of physically aging can be a topic for discussion if this has not been covered on your podcast so far. I like that. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you for the many that I'm sure you are helping. And we'll continue to help with your podcast. Hi, Will. Since 2015, I've not been in a good place And the past six months, I well and truly hit bottom. But now I'm back on top, back at the gym, loving my job and staying back in my hometown. And I'm a proud auntie to a wee boy who rocks a hat like yours. Oh, that's sweet. Well, well done for getting back on 
uh, on top. So I feel like this week we've had some really good, open, vulnerable communication with people. And, you know, as ever, please uh, get in touch. Email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com. Twitter at The Wellbeing Lab. Instagram and Facebook at The Wellbeing Lab Podcast. Next week, it's Shame with June Tangney. Now, that's a big, big topic. Lots of love. Did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF and is part of the Acast Creator Network? It's true. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.